Well, good morning, Christ Central. My name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at Christ Central Church. And I'll be reading our scripture this morning, which comes from 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 22 through 54. And it begins. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven, and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep your servant David. You kept your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully, as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward his, this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards, toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone wrongs their neighbor and is required to take an oath, and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple. Then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing down on their heads what they have done, and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their ancestors. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plague comes to the land or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers or when an enemy besieges them in, their, in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, be aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and spreading out their hands toward this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know every human heart so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave their ancestors. As the foreigner, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. When your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, 
And when they pray to the Lord toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, you will become angry with them and give them over to their enemies you t- who take them captive uh, to their own lands, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land their ca- of their captors and say, we have say turned back to you and have, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayers and their plea, uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause their captors to show them mercy for they are your people in your inheritance, whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that iron-smelting furnace. May your eyes be open to your servants' plea and to the plea of your people Israel, and may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. For you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance, just as you declared through your servant Moses when you, sovereign Lord, brought our ancestors out of Egypt. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Wow, I'm impressed y'all made it out. Um, yeah, guess you got enough bread and milk uh, to make it out on time. Us Southerners. Um, anyway, we continue in our um, King Sermon series. After taking some time off to do a mini Christmas series on words of the season, and, and then last week um, we had a special testimony service for our New Year's celebration. Well, the last time we were in Kings, we looked into the details of the building of God's house. And uh, the temple by King Solomon. And we looked at how those details told the story of who God was and who he is and how he intended to live with and among his people. Now this week in chapter 8, the temple is completed. And we are at its dedication and opening ceremonies. Coinciding with the Israeli festival time, the city is therefore bustling and brewing with excitement and central to... It, the festival this year, of course, is the opening of the temple for worship and religious activities. And most importantly, for God to come and take residence right there in a house built for him. And then central to this lengthy chapter, what we're going to focus on is the prayer of King Solomon at the temple dedication. And this prayer is a little different than what you might hear at the beginning of sports events or, or even at a wedding where there is that solemn, safe little word, the invocation, <laughs> which has come to mean let's give God a little credit in this big event, a shout-out, a, a cute and brief nod to the divine on the way to get to the important stuff. But the word invocation is far from safe or cute. When you consider it means, you guessed it, to invoke, right? To invoke God, to stir him up, to call him down and call him into the proceedings. And God only rolls in one way when invoked, large and in charge. King Solomon's prayer that was read is an invocation that implores and begs and opens wide the door for God to come in and stay, not a little while, but as he asked, forever with his people, not to be a part, but to be the core personality of the nation and of the people and of their world. To make that temple 
like the world headquarters for universally all present God. And it works, the Bible says, and you don't have this in your reading. But right before your reading, a, a dark cloud of God's holy presence descends in the temple's holy place. And the Bible says it was so ominous and so heavy and so weighty, the coming of God's presence, that the priests run out of there out of fear. And Solomon has to redefine the coming cloud as good and not bad, but nonetheless awesome. And so Solomon begins to pray. And he not only prays for certain things about God's temple and God's coming with his presence there, he teaches us how to pray and why to pray. Yes, King Solomon's now 3,000-year-old prayer is still hot and alive today in instructing us how and why we should invoke God. And just thinking about invocation in our lives like that cloud did the priest's prayer can make us afraid or, or confused or out of control or too broken off from God. There, there are three things I want us to delve in today about prayer that I believe may help us better invocate, if you will, with or pray to God. First, because God is eminent, that means present with us, Pray. Because God is eminent and present with us, pray. Secondly, because we all have to deal with sin in our lives and world, pray. And finally from this prayer, because the Lord himself prays, we should pray. Needless to say, for those of you who have been believers for a while, for many if not most of us, prayer can be like going to the gym, right? especially this time of year. You have to go or you'll be unhealthy, right? And most of all, more important than being unhealthy, you'll feel bad about yourself, like you're some undisciplined loser. But it can be extremely routine. And you have to push yourself and go get some, sometimes conference-level encouragement. I'm going to a conference on prayer, right? Or, or, or do a new fad prayer thing, like you do a new fad exercise, or get a new kind of exercise equipment like a prayer book, or do a resolution. And let's be honest, prayer can get complex and even tedious feeling because it involves communicating to and with and before a pretty complex and tedious and heavy personality in God, right? God is just not easy to carry along in your conversation. He actually, as God, comes in wanting to be the center of attention. And he is high maintenance, as in the most high kind of maintenance. He wants more than the crust cut off his sandwich, right? To, to, to engage in small talk. He wants holiness from us. And crazy enough, the stuff that might push us away from God when it comes to prayer is what encourages and draws Solomon to pray here. In fact, Solomon welcomes and invokes. He prays to what we think of as a complex, holy, scary cloud God, right? Because God was there. He was eminent and present and had revealed himself as God, as a holy God, the world's most pure, perfectly being and existent, self-existent, all-powerful, always right, never wrong, the definition of good person exists in all places where the world that he made. So it only makes sense that Solomon make celebrity-level community space for him to invoke, right, to provoke him to come as far in as he wants and we can bear. That's what prayer does and compels and begs us to do, to recognize and then ask for God to be God in our lives and world and no one and nothing else but God. To help you understand this, I want you to think about the person you are most impressed with in the world. For whatever reason, a parent, maybe a dad, a mom, a sports figure, a scientist, 
an artist, a singer, a musician, a rapper, an economist, a leader, a philanthropist, a writer, an actor. Someone's beauty or, or talents or gifts or just plain swag and juice and stardom just kind of blow you away, right? I use the word juice. Oh, my gosh. I just thought I'd try it because I'm almost 45, so I thought I'd try something. Now, some of you have experienced this. Imagine meeting them in a closed space, not on TV, right? I never forget, I got back, like, uh, my friend knew, uh, knew the producer of the show when Boys to Men came to St. Louis when I was in seminary there. And they're like, hey, we're going to go back because we know what hotel they're staying in. We're going to all go back and hang out. I'm like, I don't know. It just seems weird to go to their hotel. Like, I'm not. It was me and about four other girls. I wasn't dating anybody, just friends. And it's like, let's go back and meet boys and men. I'm like, okay. Yeah, backstage passes. It's great, right? Think about imagine, imagine meeting them. Most of us would jump at a chance to meet our impressive hero or heroine, and, and yet most of us would trip over ourselves when we actually do, right? Some would eventually want to run away and get close all at the same time. Such meetings would be difficult all the time. You can never rest if you're always with your hero. It could even get tiring and complex and make you eventually feel lost in them. Here's the thing. Your impressive person can't even say God's name with enough speck on it, right? To not be inviscerated, justly so, by God. Imagine your earthly superstar can't even fit on the same universe with God, right? Much less green room of your deserved show of affection. He is an all-holy and right and awesome and starry and moves with divine world-shaking swag, as some of you say it. In Charleston, we have what we call shotgun homes. In these homes, you can go in the front door, and in and, 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 and some of them, the doorways of each room are lined right up with each other, and you can stand in the front room, and you can see all the way almost to the back door, right? There's no hallway. It's just doorways through the door. And I remember you would, you'd have to pass through the living room first to get to the rest of the house. And my grandmother would entertain her friends in there, in her best room, the place where you don't get to sit, right? The living room. And some of you remember that plastic on that good living room furniture. Don't you dare sit in the living room. You got caught sitting in the living room. My granddaddy couldn't even sit there. Henry, what you doing up here? Get out of here. It's a living room. Quit living in here. <laughs> but if you were a kid and you went over while she had guests, you had to go through that tense, heavy room of guests first. And, and, you know, when she would entertain her friends in that best room, you had to go through that room first to get back to the kitchen or to the TV. And don't dare walk through without getting those, greeting those mothers or whoever as you went through. They will tell you too. Man, there have been times I'm walking through just trying to sneak through. And you hear it, you don't know how to say good evening? <laughs> Young man, you don't know how to say good morning? You don't see anybody sitting here? And then you good morning. All right, then. <laughs> All right, you can go on through. You teach them good, Sarah. You know, one of them things. That's old school, y'all. It was respect for the person's presence. And they would teach you that you didn't and couldn't make it any further in the house. Solomon prayer, Solomon's prayer says and starts off this way in verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O oh Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And then he says this in verse 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much? Less this house that I have built. 
we have lost the awe that drives us to fall down on our knees and at the very least say hello or good morning on the way to live life, a life that God has given us passing through the living room, then we may never never really have known him. Or maybe we don't know him. Maybe he doesn't live in our temple. Or maybe like most of us, we are hiding out and running away from an encounter, afraid of his holiness. This prayer teaches and tells us, confess it. Go ahead and say it. Pray it out first. That God, you're a whole lot. That Lord, you are really extra to deal with. My life can't contain you. My mind can't understand you. You are really something else. Confess that he's divinely beyond anything you could deal with. And every counter is like the first because he's infinitely complex, right, and holy. And you can never do anything but be consumed by his brightness and stardom. Prayer is a stumbling and mumbling and bumbling before a God that is effectively impressive. And he is present on earth right now, right before you. Every day, the Bible says, even the trees know it and sway before him. And we should too. So pray. But Solomon follows these statements about this holy, eminent God by saying this in verse 22. Again, then Solomon stood before the altar, and Lord, in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord our God, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below, keeping covenant. Now hear, hear this part. Keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant, David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand you have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lock a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as they walk as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Hear this now. Behold, heaven and highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, the place of which you said, my name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven Listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Do you see and hear the descriptions or captions of this holy God? The same God who can't be contained, handled, or commanded? It says that he handles us. That a holy God, an other God, an extra God, he actually handles us. He, he uses his own hands and, and he listens to us with his ears and he hears us and, and is there to take our pleas and makes promises and keeps them. And in verse 23, he is a covenant God. He makes personal, marital, kind of intimate relationship with people. And then he does so as a way to express, get this, his steadfast love, his hesed, his merciful, grace-filled love to human beings. What does this mean? God the heavy has a heart for people like you and me. So pray, not just out of respect for his holiness being present and deserving it, but because the top personality of the universe is merciful and welcoming and inviting and looking to listen to your prayers and be kind. Do you hear that? To be kind to you. It's funny when you hear someone talk about when they meet someone famous. Well, you know, I met this actor. I ran into them at the grocery store or in the street or this, or this uh, basketball player, football player. I, was, I remember I was on the elevator with, the, um, with, the, with a couple Hornets players. Man, they're almost bent over in that elevator. God, they were so tall. What floor y'all going to? 
the top floor. You know, it's kind of interesting, right? And, but people come away and they say, hey, I met so-and-so, and they were so nice. Why do we say that? <laughs> you know I met blah, blah, blah. Man, they were just down to earth and nice. And the reason we say that, because we expect to be rejected, because they're so high, they're so great, they're so starry. They're so perfect, they're so good, they're so talented. We expect to, re- re- to be rejected, or for, rather for them to be a real jerk, right? God might be holy, but he is no jerk. You and I might be a jerk. But God, the scripture is saying, is merciful and just and kind even to us. Because a merciful God is eminent. Because a merciful God lives on this earth and is in our world. Pray. Pray to him. He's here. And he hears And he deserves to be recognized for being here. Which brings us to our second point, that not only pray because God is present, but pray because we have to deal with sin. One thing that can hinder our praying, as we talked about earlier, is that God is holy and we are not. And you feel that when and if he comes close like he says he is and will to people, we are immediately made aware like it did for Israel that day and for Solomon, that God coming into the temple was moving into, I love this word when it's used, God was moving into a fragile neighborhood. (laughs) Right? Kelly and I lived in a few fragile or transitioning neighborhoods in our lifetime. Let me tell you, it ain't fragile, it's already broke. (laughs) They use that word, it's broke. And it ain't a neighborhood it is, but when your neighbor's trying to steal your stuff, ain't no neighbor, it's just the hood, right? <laughs> That's why it's not a neighborhood, because nobody being good neighbors. You got to look out for yourself. You got to get a mean dog. You got to do something. And Solomon is honest about this, that the holy God who is present, coming close, is going to be living in a fragile, transitioning between good and bad, better and worse, plain, broken by sin, who are not always good neighbors to each other, neighborhood. So pray, because we struggle with sin and the suffering that comes from sin. Pray to that holy God, pray to that merciful God, because he's there with you as you're a bad neighbor in the hood you've created, in the transitioning and fragile world that you live in, you're always breaking his law. That's why the neighborhood's broken. That's why we're broken. There are seven prayer items. I don't know if you counted them as we were reading. I didn't. I had to read a commentary. Pretty good stuff, right? (laughs) I could have just said that and look smart. I should have. Anyway, there are seven prayer items between verses 31 and 51 in this prayer, and they all have to do with sin and sin sick situations in the world. And I'm just going to run through them real quick. I'm not going to do all the reading because Jacob already did all the reading. Thank you, Jacob. And then I want you to go back and read it later. In verses 31 and 32, it is about praying for help when there is injustice. As in things done in secret are done to the oppressed where you can't get or see to get justice for yourself or others when they need it. When you are outdone and overdone by never having a voice, it says that's what prayer is for. In verse 33 and 34, it is about praying for help after our sin has gotten us in a situation or addiction or up the stream or too far to get us back. We are in bondage or imprisoned to and by something that we shouldn't, but because of sin we got into, pray for that. In verses 35 and 36, Solomon is about, is, this is about praying for God to provide and restore what his people might have squandered to get and be what they shouldn't. This is about praying when we or others have overspent and stretched financially, logistically, logistically, emotionally, and spiritually, and seeking and wanting and trying to be what they shouldn't. This is about praying when you or others are burnt out and dry and consumed, caused by the greed and short-sightedness and evil desires and sins of ourselves and evil even others. Pray for God's provision in that sin. 
Verses 37 through 39 is about praying for deliverance from natural disasters, that God would hear them when they pray, like ice in Charlotte, right? Snow in Charlotte's a disaster, right? Let me say it again, because there's no bread and milk left in the store. It's a clear disaster. It isn't even a hurricane coming to people going to get taped. For what? <laughs> to take clothes to bread. That's why. So it lasts longer. I love that bread and milk joke. It's just funny. I have to give it up to my wife from St. Louis. She just laughs at us. In Charleston, you get snow, you go get the bread and milk. I don't know why, Kelly. <laughs> You're glad to get the last one. Ha! People from the north, they going out with the ice melt. What's that? Ice melt. What you got? Bread. <laughs> and milk. Okay, where was I? 37 and 39. It's about praying for deliverance from natural disasters. That God would hear them when they pray, when and if these things happen, and they will happen. I want to be careful here. Though we should tr shouldn't try to pinpoint the sin or sinful people or exact reason there's natural disaster, financial or physiological collapse or whatever, we pray to God because in these situations and times that are beyond our control like tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and droughts and famines and real estate bubbles popping and besetting sicknesses and diseases, diseases and physical ailments, we know that is all because we live in a fallen world caused by original human sin that we can't mitigate or heal or fix ourselves, so pray. Then in verse 41 through 43, this is about praying that God hears the prayers and will hear the prayers and care for and show love and mercy to those, get this, this was unheard of, who are not God's people. There's nothing more Jewish or Israeli than the temple. That God lives there. And what does Solomon pray? Lord, we pray that you would be able to hear people who don't even believe in you like we do. This is about prayer. It's designed to, to pray that people would to show care and love and mercy to those who are not God's people, those who are unbelievers, that they would see God's grace and mercy and holiness through his presence in the temple that would be in his people so that they can be with him and know him and pray to him too. So we pray for grace and mercy to unbelievers in our prayers. And then in verse 44 and 45, when he talks about God's people going into battle against their enemy, it means spiritual warfare. It means that we should pray because there's people in this world, they're enemies. Not biting my tongue about this, spiritual enemies. Demonic forces is not just a movie, right? They're not characters in a the movie. They've been stolen from reality and put in characters from a movie, and now you think they're just characters from a movie. But no, there are real demonic, evil, satanic forces. And I'll even say other institutional, sinful, sinister forces that are simply against God. And simply against your good that you can't handle on your own. This ain't poltergeist where you call the lady, lady with the funny voice. It don't work like that. Sorry, poltergeist. I'm old. You can't battle that without seeing it. They are not flesh and blood sometimes. And it's saying pray that God needs to intervene in and he will make a difference. Pray. And then finally in verses 46 through 51, and I'm going to read this one. If they sin against you, hear this, for there is no one who does not sin. Man, the Bible, it just used a real kind of superlative kind of word, didn't it? No one. That means everybody in this room sins. So everybody in this room should Pray. You all have a prayer life automatically by being born or should have one. And if you don't, something wrong with you. Oh, yeah, there's something wrong with you. There is no one that does not sin. Okay. 
And it says, and you are angry with them, God. He, he has a right to be angry. He's holy. And because you sin against him, ultimately. And give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been ca carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, you might have a different translation. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, a city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven... Uh, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. Isn't it interesting that he says you dwell in a temple, but he says heaven, your dwelling place, he's recognizing that that house can't contain God, right? It's just an instrument and tool of God's grace to care for them. Okay, I wasn't supposed to preach that part. And forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you. And grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them, for they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. So if, and you will, we will, because as Solomon says, everyone does, when we sin, prayer is about seeking forgiveness and freedom from condemnation. Hear this now, even if our sin carries us far from God, far from the temple, far from hearing and seeing distance of the temple where, you know, you kind of pray toward uh, in, in kind of a, a great means of grace way, like a physical way, right? Even when you're far away from God and your sin has made you alienated from spiritual things. Some of you used to be real spiritual. Now you're not, or you never have been because of prayer or you're not spiritual for season. season. Even if we end up in the farthest place from, from, from you think that God could ever reach you to pray, right? Even from someone's bed you should not be in. Right there in the morning when you wake up and say, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. In the middle of doing something you shouldn't. This is saying being taken far away in bondage by an enemy you have given yourself over to in sin, right? From that bar, from that store you shouldn't be at, from that, in front of that screen you shouldn't be looking at, right? In the, that contentious marriage, from that place of deepest and darkest shame and fear and brokenness, if you are there, when you are there, I'm going to go ahead and say, if you are them, right, when you are that person, then prayer is the answer. Solomon is doing and saying, for if and when it happens that when we have sinned against God, it is not the time to run and not pray and hold our head down, but to look to heaven. Some of us got it backwards. My prayer life is dead because I'm such a sinner. Your prayer life is alive more than ever and should be when you find yourself there. And there are seven areas. Oh, I love seven. You know, you get all that seven, the perfect number stuff. Well, it's kind of true. Enough commentators said it, so I'm going to go ahead with it. There are seven areas here, not because these completely tell you all that should be prayed for by God, the seven things only. Well, let's write a book, the seven prayer items. No, don't do it, please. But seven as in complete, right? Solomon is saying in everything and anything that you find yourself in or find that separates you or others from the God who is holy and merciful to pray that there is not one thing or one situation, that there's not one person that can't be prayed for and prayed for and about something. Solomon is saying that because God is here in his temple, the people can bring anything that people could bring or deal with or come up with or rise up in their lives to their God. Our prayer lives are not for those who have it together, but for the scattered and broken and not quite got it together from all corners of places we can find our minds and hearts. Prayer is not, according to the subjects of the sevenfold prayer of Solomon, a clean, perfected, organized, always well thought of, perfectly worded thing. More often than not, it is just telling God, you are God the only true and merciful God. And so I need you 
I seek you. Here I am in the cut, in the press, in the mash, in the dirt, in the pit, on the side, rejected, overlooked, forgotten, left behind, flunked and failed out. This is who I am. This is my prayer to you. God, please hear me. This is the prayer that Solomon with a present God made available to the people that day. And good news, who Jesus makes available for us now and forever. I don't know whether you noticed this, looking at beginning at verse 52. It says, let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt. Do you know the main point in all of this sevenfold prayer by Solomon? It was not Solomon's prayer to God, even though we should pray to God in this way. This was a prayer for the prayers of the people to God. In other words, Solomon as king is interceding, y'all. He's going in between the people who would pray and the holy mercy of a God who would hear and answer their prayers, prayers and pleading not only that people should pray, but that God would hear their pleas and prayers. He's on his knees with his hands raised, vulnerably asking God, according to his holiness and mercy and love and grace, to take broken prayers and prayer lives as a holy God from broken and messed up people. And that for their broken and messed up world, that he would come and bless and save and deliver and provide and heal and forgive them. You know what the Bible tells us about Jesus? That he is a kingly high priest. And that what Solomon did one time in the history of Israel as a one tenure, that means one term until he died king, Jesus came and did for all times as the forever interceding king for the ifs and whens and thens of our lives and world, that if and when and then that God would truly hear us, even though he doesn't have to, and we don't have the cred to deserve his attention, Jesus, when he came and died on the cross, he invoked God for us. His life and death was an invocation that pleased and drew God near and invoked God's ears and eyes and hands and attention and loving kindness and grace for the ifs and whens and thens of our life to visit us with his power and holiness and influence and change things for his glory. When Jesus took our sins on the cross, like Solomon kneeled as the king, no king ever kneels. But he kneeled. He humiliated. He humbled himself before the people. He let the people know, yeah, y'all, I ain't never kneeling before any of y'all. I'm the king. But you need to watch your king kneel before a holy God. You need to see King Solomon in all his glory and splendor and wonder. The one God put in place as his holy king. You need to see your king on his face, hand raised before God. As a representative of the posture of brokenness and neediness and shared desperation of his people for God's grace. And he invoked grace. He begged for it. He acted out for it. Jesus acted out. He pleaded. He humiliated himself to get God's gracious attention and ears for you and me. Something funny happened to an aunt of mine. We still remember the story. It was like a miracle story. That was funny. There was a storm going on and we were waiting in the car to go into the mall. And <laughs> it stopped raining. And it looked like it was clearing up. So she got out the car. And she lifted her hands and her head up. <laughs> and she said, thank you, God, 
for this nice day we have. And as soon as she did that, hail came down, right? Like, not heavy, not a lot, like, not damaging, but... And we laughed for months. Like, hey, Annie, you want to pray today? Like, it was just... It was just one of those funny things. It's clear. Thank you, God. We get the shop. And she just kind of stood there. That's what happened to Jesus. So the God would come. It's not funny. So the God would come and hear our prayers. And so we could pray, God, rain down the wrath that you and I should get when he kneeled to pray for you and me. And lifted his eyes to the sky. The fiery wrath of God showered down on him. As he rightfully and joyfully praised God for his holiness. God brought Christ to his knees. So that you could stand in his righteousness. He experienced a static and disruption and drop calls on the cross so that our prayers can go through and God can hear us now. And now Jesus, like Solomon, kneeled and stood before God. Jesus came to stand before, between us and God as a forever or forever accepted plea before God so that all who call on Jesus' name will have audience, contact, connection, with an intimate and holy and merciful God. I'm going to leave you with this. Look at verse 52 again. It says, Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people, Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call you. This is teaching us that we not only should pray through our king, but because of Jesus we pray, we should pray, hear this, with our king. Do you know you never have to face a complex world of sin and situations and a holy complex and good God on your own and try to make sense or try to do it well enough for fear of being ashamed that you don't do it well enough or enough? Prayer is praying with the king. What do I mean by this? I may have told you this before. I don't know if I've used this illustration before, but I guess six or seven years ago, Uptown Church, our mother church, they did Handel's Messiah. And... Uh, they invited people who played instruments. And I started playing a violin at age five. Uh, you know, I was pretty good, but not symphony, you know, getting paid good, okay? I, w- I was more like flag football, not NFL. Well, maybe arena league or something like that. But, and so they played Handel's Messiah, and they're like, anybody want to play? I played a violin. All right, come on. And what they did is they had the Charlotte Symphony players to play, and you got teamed up with them, you know? So I remember us playing it. I was like, I sound so good. <laughs> they had a director doing the head and all. I'm like, I, I, I'm here. Maybe I should try out for the Charleston. No, I shouldn't Charlotte. No, I should Charlotte Symphony Orchestra. No, I don't think so. Stay in your lane. <laughs> I was encouraged to play my instrument, right? Because I reached that place, that level, that complicated and place a song. I was rolling until the person next to me stopped playing. That woman that they had me sitting next to who was in the symphony, oh, my gosh. I wasn't completely fooled. It sounded good because when I stopped or couldn't or failed or hit a bad pitch, that professional player beside me always hit it right and never failed and was always carrying my faults and my lines in between and playing over my out-of-tune lost ways. But I participated in the worship. So I played. I played. I moved my head and all you. I was there without fear, without shame. Pray. Because Jesus prays for you 
and with you. So the truth and I can pray to him. The one who's already sent a perfect plea and pitch and action and performance to heaven for us calls to pray with him. If, when, then, pray. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've come to rescue us from a pretty quiet life when it comes to communicating with you. We are afraid. We know we ain't been good. We know we don't know you well enough to actually have a conversation with us. We're afraid, Lord. And you're just so amazing. We can never add up. Thank you for Jesus. Help our people. Help me. I like to act before I pray. And then I like to pray when I get in trouble for acting wrong. Lord, please help us to take advantage of this grace that you've given us. Help us not to take for granted what you have so graciously offered and being willing to handle us and hear us and be with us and connect and even communicate with us. I pray for the oldest one here and even the youngest and all the people in between, especially our youth today. Everything's being communicated, Lord, online, on the TV, on the computer, on the phone, everywhere, Lord. There are messages. There is communication, mass communication all the time. And Lord, you just get a little bit. And yet, you are the most you are the highest. I pray for our kids right now. Our youth, our children. In a world where they're used to talking to somebody by text or chat or Instagram or whatever it is. I pray, Lord, that they would know your Holy Spirit. I pray that they would have an experience of your grace where they know they're talking to you and you're listening and you are eminent, that you are there. You are present. I pray the same for us dry and old, kind of tired, midlife crisis kind of Christians. Blow in, Lord, some fresh wind. Kindle some nice, some fire in us, Lord, we pray in this way in our prayer lives. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of prayer at Christ Central. We thank you, Lord, for Christine and the people who come and, and pray in the mornings on Sundays, Lord. We, we ask that you would continue to bless that ministry. We need it. We thank you, Lord, that... <laughs> You allow prayer to be done by somebody else for us. Because sometimes we don't even pray for ourselves. We thank you that other people cover us. Now be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.